moving your career further faster. That's the mission behind Cascading Leadership. Each week, we're bringing you stories of women, immigrants, members of the global majority who have risen to the ranks of senior leadership in the world of business. Get ready to gather the insights of some of the world's best business leaders and apply those to your career. If you're interested in sales and marketing effectiveness, organizational effectiveness, talent strategy, DEI, or HR tech, tune in. We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. Welcome to this episode of Cascading Leadership. I am your host, Dr. Jim, your resident friendly neighborhood talent, attraction, retention, and turnover nerd. And with me, I have... LB. I always laugh at his intro because I'm like, what is this long intro that he has here? So I have to work on mine. Yeah, you certainly do. It's all about the brand, dude. It's all about the brand. True story. Gotta, Gotta rep the brand. So speaking of brand... We have somebody on the show that is super branded out, and that's not even the, the, the greatest thing about this conversation that we're going to have, but we have our featured guest today, and uh, I'm going to let her introduce herself because she's got a great story to tell, and I can't wait to dive into it. So, featured guest, this is my LB impression, featured guest, introduce yourself. Hey, everybody, and thank y'all for having me, Jim, LB. My name is Ebony Cephas. And I am the OD consultant, change agent, just one that is inspired by helping others. And I'm so glad to be here today. I work for TV Industries and we are a mechanical construction company that also handles a building's life cycle needs in the areas of engineering, construction, service and maintenance and integrated facilities management. What I do to support the business currently is handle our leadership development in our training department, people department. And so super, super excited to be with you both today. Thank you for having me. Super excited to have you on. Full disclosure, Ebony and I talked each other's ears off at a conference that we met at (laughs) several months ago, and that's how we got hooked up. But I think I would be derelict in my duties if I did not mention the coordination of eyeglass to top. That is, LB, this is, take notes. This is a brand related conversation we're having right now. That is repping the brand. Nice. Thank you. Anybody that knows me knows that royal blue is my favorite color. It's also the color of my sorority, Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. So shout out. Hey, yes. (laughs) And of course, TD Industries is blue and white as well. So I just knew I was destined to work there. As soon as I stepped in the building, I'm like, Yes, everyone that knows Ebony knows that Royal Blue is the name of the game. So I had to bless the podcast today in Royal Blue and my pearls just for you guys. That is awesome. We're <laughs> we're feeling super special. So thank you. So we're going to get into a lot of stuff. So you lay you set the stage pretty well with the intro about what you do and the company that you're with. And I mentioned in our pre-production conversation, we'll get into this a little bit later. If you had bet me any amount of money that a 75-year-old mechanical engineering construction firm would care about anything to do with DEI or the Lush framework, I would be broke right now because I would have bet every penny that's not going to be something that's relevant to that particular organization. So I'm going to be super interested to see how that needle got moved there, because I think it's pretty unique in that sector. So we're going to definitely have that conversation. But before we get to all of that, we know where you are. Now we want to figure out how did you get there? So a lot of of our stories are about what formed you as an individual? What were your formative experiences? What lessons did you learn growing up? So let's dive into that part of the conversation, because that's super interesting. So Ebony, Tell us your life story. We got all day. (laughs) Exactly. Where do we start? I think that if I capture a transformative part of my life, it would start in elementary school. I am the oldest of three, born to two entrepreneurs. My mom was a teacher. She also worked in the school system. My dad owned several businesses. Both are musicians. So empowerment was the name of our game growing up early. And because of the music side, 
we were helping to start up worship teams in our fellowship of churches. So parents are both born and raised in Texas, but we moved to California. That's where I was born. Then we moved to Louisiana, had some more kids down the road. And then we ultimately landed in Dallas, Texas, or Mesquite, Texas, formal. And in that school, I was maybe one of three African-Americans in the school. So you learn lessons early on how to navigate and what diversity really looks, but also being able to discover my own power inside. So you take that journey from middle school to high school where there were a lot of firsts. So in high school, using that music background, it gave me the opportunity to be one of the first African-Americans to sing our, our school song at graduation. And it meant so much to my family, but also the community to start paving the way. And that's one of the things that my father always taught us growing up is that we are trailblazers. And a trailblazer is someone who creates a path where there is none so that others may follow. Those teachings help set the stage for even my adult career where you can be in a room or at a table where there aren't many like you in the room or at that table and still feel empowered to bring your own perspective, your own side of things, but also your gifts, your talents, and your abilities. Some appreciate them and some look at them a little sideways sometimes. Some are uncomfortable, but to keep blazing that trail. How did your your middle school and high school years formulate some of what you're talking about? I know that you said that part of it has been the influence of your parents, which is always a strong influence for us as we're growing up. But tell us a little bit more about the middle school and the high school era. Those were awkward years. I'm going to, the dark ages, those would be what I would call the dark ages. And and I think that's why I attached to flush principles so hard and heavy. And we'll get to that. But I spent my middle school years as someone that was behind the scenes, hidden. You don't want to be too loud, too awkward. I didn't fit in a lot of circles. And so I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be understood, seen and heard amongst my friends. But I knew I was different. I knew I was unique and square peg round hole in middle school and even high school. And you try to find ways to adapt and to fit in. But I think toward the years of high school and into college, where I went to University of North Texas, Go Mean Green, started to find myself a little bit more and find my niche of friends and those things where I know I could continue to shine. So when you describe the the dark ages, as you called them, is there any one moment during that time through your progression that, that stands out as helping to develop yourself as you were going from middle to high school into college? I'm going to say having the right village. I had some really great friends that encouraged me and I felt empowered by being with them. I not envied them, but you know what? I wish I had what they had, that confidence that just allowed them to shine. And I'm still hanging in the background trying to find myself and and where I fit in. But I had those front facing out in the public type of friends who are still my friends to this day. So I'm going to say that having a strong community, having a strong village, even if it's two or three individuals were pivotal and critical for me in my life to help bring me out into who Ebony is today. I was going to tap into that community point because it's a theme that LB and I talk about throughout our various episodes. Sometimes your community is your closest circle, your family. Other times, mm-hmm. if you don't have the benefit of family, you create your own community to figure out your way in the world. I, I, I want to loop back into something that you had mentioned, this whole idea of when you're in Texas at the time that you were growing up, in middle school, you were one of a few. In high school, mm-hmm. you were one of a few. Oftentimes, when you're in that situation, you're faced with a choice. Do I bend to the world around me or do I make the world bend to me? And that's a difficult choice. How did you 
come to whatever decision? How did you navigate that decision or that choice in middle school, high school, college is probably a little bit different, but in, in those formative years, how did you navigate that choice? Do I go along to get along or am I going to stand firm in who I understand myself to be and make the world bend to me? Middle school was definitely a lot of bending and conforming because I really wasn't strong as I should have been in my identity and in the roots that my parents helped to plant. And they were there all along, but giving me the space to try to figure that out was very important as well. And they're there, their love and their kindness and their encouraging words. And we are a strong faith family. And so part of that was Here's what the scripture says about you. You don't have to conform to that world, but still trying to find myself and live in it was hard. So I did a lot of bending during middle school. I think that in high school, there were more options available as far as organizations, activities that allowed me to shine and help build my confidence because I wasn't the cheerleader type. I was a very educated person who liked to sing. I I spoke, I was friendly. So I was in a lot of peer helping type organizations, Crime Stoppers, that was me. So it was kind of nerdy and be comfortable with who I am and still strong in my faith as well. All of those elements trying to mix. And so a little less bending, more confidence in high school. But yes, in middle school, it was a lot of bending and conforming, just trying to find myself and feel comfortable in my skin. As I was listening to what you were saying, one of the questions that I oftentimes have for our guests who are women is, as you, as you talk about your journey and that bending, how much of it you could uh, quantify it is about who you are from an ethic standpoint versus who you are as uh, a woman and maybe the blend or the variation between the two? I would say 70% ethics, 30% woman. I would say my gender wasn't really a factor growing up in corporate America. Those transitions, now you're leaning more on gender. I would say growing up, it was really more on ethics and race because even amongst that, now that's a good point. In elementary, I was one of less than five. Middle school, you grow a little more because you're blending several elementary schools into one middle school. So now I'm meeting more African-Americans. It's not many of us, but even I noticed that I wasn't like them. I I didn't listen to the same music. I wasn't into the same activities. I didn't party. So I wouldn't be considered one of the cool kids at that time. And then you take high school where you're merging several middle schools into one. So the population grows even more. And that's why I said it's more eclectic in the offerings and the organizations and things that you can be a part of that allow you to shine in your own way and become a little bit more comfortable. And in that space, in the high school realm, it was, you were the Black girl that could sing. And I learned, I had formal training growing up through the education system musically, but I was also in the church. And so you bring that gospel to a formal choral setting and it's like, so all the talent shows, I could stretch out a little bit. So I was the the interesting girl. She's funny. She's smart, but she can sing. But it kind of thinks I, I found a crew and those, my village, they didn't change, but we branched off and spaced spaced out a little bit due to the variety of activities we were into. I began to find more friends in that choral space, in the peer group space, in the crime stopper space, because I wasn't athletic or anything like that. So I just wanted to help people and I wanted to sing and just be happy. Real simple. So you also had mentioned about being uh, the nerd, so you're in good company. Obviously, (laughs) nerds run the world. Everyone's not aware of that, but we do. But uh, something else that you said that was, uh, that's powerful, that oftentimes leads me into uh, troubled waters, is that you just called out something that is really important, that is sometimes controversial, but it is the idea notion of any given culture of people that we're not a monolith. And so in this example, you were talking about 
as an African-American, right? That you were like, okay, now there were more, but I still didn't necessarily fit in. And when I think about the whole idea notion of that monolith that sometimes is subscribed to us is, oh, you look a certain way. So this is what your experience is, is, you know, generally sometimes. For me, what a lot oftentimes, or this has come up most recently in the last couple of years, is when things happen and people will say, hey, so why do you think, and my response generally is that uh, recommendations for different sources that people can go and research, because I don't necessarily have the answer. My, I, though we might look like a particular group, oftentimes it's a bit dismissive to say, oh, you're going to have the, you're going to have the answer. And it's, it's interesting because I think you are calling this out that you are aware of the, we're not a monolith early in your life. Because a lot of the other black kids that fed into these schools came from South Dallas. They understood Kwanzaa. I wasn't raised like that per se. When we had history lessons at a family reunion, it was really about our lineage and we're cotton pickers. We're, we are from Africa and you trace that story back. But even to be raised in a suburb of Dallas, I was not engulfed into the Dallas culture or the black Dallas culture. Had no idea until I had a friend who took me to South Dallas and gave me some exposure there. And I had my own biases of what that community was all about and how to fit in. And we did a debutante and that, you know, that I wasn't exposed to that world. And so you're right. I can't, even in a corporate setting today, I can't answer for all African-Americans because within that culture, it's totally different. And we all have different perspectives as well. So you're right. We can feel that pain to be that resource for the Black culture in a corporate environment where DE&I is concerned or people are asking for answers. I can only give you my experience and my story. But another Black person, they're not going to have the same story and the same perspective. And I think that when we're talking about DEI, that's really uh, a huge miss for a lot of companies, I think, when, when that approach is taking it on. So let's go ask Ebony. And honestly, I think that sometimes there are, there's, there's a book called So You Want to Talk About Race by uh, Ijeoma Lowu. And she talks about so many elements. And one of them is, for example, check your privilege. So in our society, as Jim and I are men, there are certain things that we may be privy to that are said that may be relative to women, that may be disparaging. And our privilege is that because we're men and we're in that environment, there's an accountability for us to say, uh, hey, that's, that's not cool. We, we really should you know, take a different angle or a different perspective or ask the question why someone is saying what they're saying and not to be assumptive that we all hold that same kind of ideology. Exactly. So when you described your college years, that's where you said you spread your wings a little bit more. Tell us a little bit about college and how <laughs> college has helped you to evolve to where Ebony is the blue wearing and blue eyeglass wearing woman that she is today. College for me was a wonderful experience. Again, I went to University of North Texas in Denton and met some really great people. I had wonderful roommates, wonderful experiences. Um, again, carried that church going gospel background to college and joined the gospel choir there where I met lifelong friends and uh, branched out musically in that realm. Also got involved in a lot of activities of our university program council, meeting university representatives and chancellors. And that got me exposed to how to conduct myself around leadership and honoring titles, honoring uh, those who are watching out for my well-being academically and how to honor leadership overall. I got in in four years, in and out, 2001 to 2005. (laughs) So we wasted no time, college of business, marketing degree. So skated through it, but in that being confident and comfortable with who I was as a young woman growing up and I had my convictions and in college, you're bringing so many minds together. 
and so many thoughts, so many perspectives and ways of doing things that challenge your own beliefs, your own convictions. And so in that season, I began to say, okay, this is who I am. This is who I stand for. This is what I want out of life. Even though this other group of people say, no, you shouldn't want that. No, you shouldn't be that. No, you should want this out of life. And so it gave me that good foundation to say, this is who Ebony is. This is what she stands for. This is how she wants to live her life moving forward. And then you hit the corporate door and you learn some very valuable lessons, even in that, that alter and tweak how you see the world. Because it's a very safe place in college. You're still protected. And then you hit corporate America. And uh, it's a different world. You, you really don't know. You don't have a clue. That's a uh, fantastic lead in and segue. I got to call you out on it. Are you sure you're not, <laughs> not a professional podcaster? And so thank you. Well, so, thank you it, for gracing us with your presence. You're, you're being a little extra there, LD. One of the things that stands out about the early part of the story is you're growing into your courage. Sometimes we create this, uh, this impression that you're supposed to come out brave from like day one. And that exercise in building that courage has a lot of self-corrective exercises that you eventually need to build up to it. So that's one of the things that I want to call out because I, I want to make sure that people who are listening to this and who are navigating their own journeys don't get the impression that there's some sort of set schedule that you need to abide by to accomplish these things. That is pretty important that you took us through that. You talked about you get out of the insulated world of high school and college, and you believe certain things that you believe are true about the world. And then you hit the real world and it kind of smacks you in the face. And that happens with a lot of people. And I think one of the things that I want to dig into, and you referenced this earlier in terms of lush principles, and I want to have you explain what those are, but I want to set the stage a little bit. So one of the things that drives me nuts, and it's probably a bigger issue for LB, is that everybody is on the DEI bandwagon and they're saying it's important. Oh, we care about it. Yeah, it's who we are and all that sort of stuff. And that's great. At least people are talking about it. But one of the things that bothers me about the corporate positioning of DEI and even allyship and everything else that it incorporates is that there are a lot of companies that take this check the box, eat your vegetables approach to it. We'll paper around what we think this looks like. And when you actually get in, it's nothing's really being done. So with that context set up, explain what Lush is and then how does Lush as a framework help make DEI an actual thing that has meaning So LUSH stands for Loved, Understood, Seen, and Heard. And they are the principles or tenets of how we interact with others, how we build relationships with others. Every human being, and you can look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? It's saying the same thing, but in a wonderful acronym that boils it down. How can I, whoever it is, a family member, friend, coworker, my boss, my director, VP, CEO, how can I love them more? In what ways can I understand them more, see them more, and hear them more? And if we can see the person for who they, it doesn't even matter what the external looks like. So you have, all right, LB is an African-American, I'm an African-American, but our lush, how people respond to us is going to be different because we are two different human beings. Even as two men in the room, in in the space. I can't treat all men the same way because I'm working with an individual in front of me. So what Jim needs, how I would apply Lush, is going to look different than what LB needs and what Lush looks like for him. So it gives us that compass for how we really truly see an individual, interact with an individual, encourage an individual. Some might need mentorship where others... You have to you know, give them a concierge service of holding their hand and walking them through their journey. But everyone is going to feel that my needs are being met. I'd like to know, how did you come about learning about Lush? And how have you leveraged it? And thirdly, 
how has your organization embraced it? I did not create this. I want to make that crystal clear. Ebony did not create this. It's adopted from a program that we integrated into our organization called Heart Styles. And Heart Styles is a character-based program. It comes with a 360 assessment of how we live either above the line or below the line. And above the line is living in humility and love. And then below the line is living out of pride and fear. But as human beings, we come up with these mechanisms, how we behave, it comes from templates, our upbringing and experiences and how we transform ourselves, but also how we grow others. And so TD Industries, and it goes back to Jim's question about a 75-year-old construction company and how we can apply lush principles. One of the things that we were built on by our founder, Jack Lowe Sr., is servant leadership. So him and Bob Greenlee created a relationship based on how can I make sure that other people's highest priority needs are being met or being served. And he has a test. Bob Greenleaf has this litmus test of how do I know I'm a servant leader? Do those served grow as persons? Do they become healthier, wiser, freer, more autonomous, more likely to become servants? So our founder, Jack Lowe Sr., was involved in the Dallas community. He sat on the boards. He was very critical in segregation in Dallas and breaking those uh, segregation laws and policies. So he was very important to the community, handling conversations with top leaders in the city, Hispanics, African-Americans, bringing them together and saying, how can we create something where our school districts are created equal? So we come from a founder whose heart was built in lush principles, right? Being a servant leader, DEI spaces, but the face of it has changed. The knowledge of what it could look like for TD Industries has changed. And so within TD, when you're thinking about heart styles, when you're thinking about servant leadership, Lush carries out our mission and vision on how we can not only grow ourselves, but help grow our partners. That's what we call our employees, partners along the way. And that everyone has a chance for career opportunities. And everyone has a chance at building on their influence as servant leaders from an individual contributor all the way up to CEO. And really our pyramid is flipped. So our CEO is at the bottom and we go to those frontline partners at the top. And so they're all integrated together. And the way we use Lush is in our trades, in our leadership training programs, in our stay conversations that we have when we're talking to our partners at least four times a year on their personal and professional development. So we do reviews, we have conversations at least four times a year. So by the time you get to the end of a year for your final review, you get to see, here's everything we worked on. Here's how we were able to grow you. Here's how you were able to grow your leader by giving them that feedback as well. And so Lush is is two ways, right? You're having a conversation and a dialogue throughout the year. So there are no surprises because are we on track? Are we behind? Do we want to change your career path or plan or who you need to connect with in order to help take you to the next step? So it's all baked and layered in. So my first reaction is, wow. And my comment that follows that is, if everybody in the Texas market is not applying to be a part of the organization, they need to, (laughs) because any organization that is that tied in to mission, vision, values, and I had no idea that the owner was part of the desegregation efforts, like that is massive. When I look at what drives me, you know, mission, vision, values, purpose, what's the good that you want to do in the world? That's a phenomenal story. And it really comes out in how you described all of that in in how it takes life. So hats off to everybody that's involved in it. And it's not easy. I'm going to say that it's it doesn't come without struggle. 
at all because you have human beings trying to drive these type of initiatives. I am so blessed to have Jack Lowe's senior son, Jack Lowe Jr., who became CEO. So we've only had three CEOs in our history, and I know two of them. And so to have Jack Lowe Jr. come back and share the story of the work that his father has done, we have Jack Lowe Senior Elementary, which houses children from all kinds of countries and languages, and there are high-performance schools. So there's a legacy that we're building on, and it came with its own trials and tribulations. Jack Lowe Jr. built on top of that, still involved with Dallas Independent School District and sat on many boards. But some of the legacy that he has shared that with Bob Ferguson is one of those. We have good old Ben. And so to say or to dismiss the work that they have done, because we're looking 2022 or 2020 in the face where because of heightened social issues, companies have to make a stand, right? They have to say something. So it's not that we were being overlooked, but it it shines a magnifying glass. And so now let's look at our corporate objectives. How do we line up? Are we really making an effort, like you said, behind what we believe? Because one of our core values is to celebrate the power of individual difference. It's housed in there, but now we can really make a concerted effort and shine the light and say, no, seriously, what do we mean by celebrating the power of individual differences? What does that face look like? How are we an inclusive culture where partners can come to work and be their best selves at work and not feel that they have to be something different or what we would call in the community code switching or And you still see some of that. The corporate environment is going to be the corporate environment. But how to navigate, how to embrace various cultures, how to embrace women into the workplace. It's women's history. Like this is what we're celebrating, where we may not have called that out in the past, even though we still had that core value. But now we're making a concerted effort, having a women's PRG or partner resource group within the company where we can come together and really shine the light on women in construction and the impacts that we're making in business. So you're just starting to see and build upon that, give it more of a face, a defined face within the organization. But those foundations were laid with Jack Lowe Sr., with Jack Lowe Jr., our current CEO, Harold McDowell. He is championing that message of how can I be a CEO for all of my partners. And he's having to navigate this world and and this culture and how he responds and how he interacts with all of our partners. So it's not easy. Being stretched is not always fun, but it will be rewarding and it will pay dividends in 2025, 2030. So we're doing that work now. We're building upon that work. I'll say that. Thank you for that. One of my observations has been, and, and Jim is correct, I have a lot to say about DEI and DEI efforts. And one of the things that you talked about is the idea and notion of leadership playing a part in that and leading the conversation. One of my observations has been is this disconnect with what I call the manageable middle, because oftentimes what happens is that group believes that they have a competing priority in DEI versus their day-to-day, I have to move widgets in order to maintain what is really my quote-unquote day-to-day, right? For whatever reason, there has not been a good amount of success. And I can say that pretty confidently because we're still talking about DEI 40, 50 years later. When you talk about Lush, can you say a little bit more about how your organization's strategy and how you're leading that kind of conversation around moving DEI throughout the organization? Yes. So it goes back to our corporate objectives, right? We want to have more, we want to increase the number of women in the trades. That's a huge opportunity for us. Persons of color in office roles, our veterans are great resources and bring skill to the organization as well. So we have these corporate objectives and strategies, and they are quantifiable. I wish I would have brought them to see, but it it streamlines. And and even now, 
in the DEI space, having those partner resource groups, but we've included a three-year plan and strategy on how we insulate the culture and what inclusion looks like and the activities there. So we are reaching out even younger, going to HBCUs to recruit engineers, right? So our talent acquisition team, they have uh, defined their strategy on how they're going to meet those metrics and what that looks like. What do our our internship, what do those candidates look like? So when we're managing high school programs and sometimes even to go to middle schools and present trades because in diversity, equity, and inclusion, trades has its own bias, what it means to be a trades person and to put some respect on our name as, as trades people and working in the construction industry growing women, growing our next level of leaders. And so on our executive leadership team, we've recruited or we've added leaders that are younger, right? But also the future of our organization, but taking an honest look at what is the representation? How many female managers or high level leaders do we have in the organization? How many persons of color do we have in leadership? throughout the organization, in the field, and in the office. And where can we really make a difference? And so one of the other things that we're battling is, are our numbers comparable to what's going on in our communities? Are we the face that a candidate can come through our doors and say, I see myself on any level? If I'm part of the women community, the veteran community, there's so many layers when you're talking about diversity what that really looks like. Our millennials, our zennials, do I see representation for myself? Is this a place that I would want to work and could grow? And so we pride ourselves on, we have a 20-year wall. We have, once you hit five years in tenure, you hit the oak wall. And we have these systems in place to say, if you want a career here, you want to grow here, we're working hard every day to make that the place you would want to be and stay. Do we get to keep everyone? No, but we make it our mission to create that culture and environment where for those that want to stay and have a home here, we want you to feel that and be a part of creating and building on the change. And and, and I think that's all very powerful. I want to hear a little bit more about all of that you said is has been a great perspective on the company. How has the company impacted you and how do you intend to continue your your mission around this work? I'm so blessed because I've been given a voice and I've been given a seat at the table. When I came to TD Industries, I knew nothing about construction. I don't even know, you know, I'm good enough to know what a hammer and a screwdriver is, but to understand the nature of our business and the work that we're doing and and how we're serving our various communities, because we're all over the state of Texas and Colorado, Arizona, so Southwest. And to really, they have really embraced my strengths, especially in the training and the leadership space as a trusted thought partner in growing our business, growing our future leaders. And that has been a blessing because everyone doesn't get to experience that. And this month is four years for me. And I don't take that lightly. When people, we we talked about the great resignation, when people get to decide, you know what, I don't have to take this and I'm out and you change jobs every year because you can, because there are options. But to be in a place where I do feel loved, understood, seen, and heard, and that's constantly being challenged, and I'm always pushing, hey, here's how I want to grow. And using those conversations, I get my four as well, using those times and having the conversations, here's how I want to grow. Here's how I know I can make an impact in our business. And having our leadership team say, okay, here's our plan to stretch you in that space. Did it come easy? No. Do you need advocates in the workplace and in your village? Yes. We all need an advocate. And I'm hearing that word 
more and more um, in this season because you are not an island. You need a village. You need someone in your corner to teach you how to navigate these waters. And so I'm blessed to have that in this business as well and also be able to help someone else. So as someone's growing and stretching me, how do I pay that forward to our newcomers, our new partners or our younger partners that this may be their first corporate job? What do I do? And we're talking about 20 years and they just want to make it 20 days. How do we educate it? And coming to TD Industries, we are privately owned. Was really the first time in my life where I heard about building wealth and I understood, you know, what this paycheck is supposed to do in retirement and 401ks and ESOPs. I knew to contribute, but I was never really educated on how it works. And we're retiring millionaires because of that education and because of having resources in place. So Lush looks all kinds of ways throughout our organization, but we have a total rewards team that offers a wonderful benefits package. If you want to be ed- educated, you want to know, you want to be included, we have those resources available. Like I said, those PRG groups were developed so that way we can see and hear our partners more and understand more. Because even in all with all of that greatness that I'm selling and sharing, it's still how can we do more? How can we make a greater effort in doing it? So evolution is so important. Innovation is so important to continue to grow. There's one thing that I wanted to call out that seems to be a recurring theme that I want people to really key in on is that I read a a Harvard Business Review article a couple of years ago that talked about the idea and notion of Black women in particular being over-mentored and under-sponsored. And what Mm. you were talking about, what you were describing was that element of sponsorship that I think is important in everyone's career, to be frank, right? And those other elements, though, help give rise to it. So the the lush principle and, and what you all are executing and what you all are talking about is really moving into that element of, because when you start talking about generational wealth, you're helping people to see a whole different perspective that they may not have seen before that puts them in a better position. And that's an element of sponsorship itself. The one thing that, that stood out in all of the things that you talked about is everybody's talking about the great resignation, the great you know, reshuffle, whatever flavor of the week phrase happens. And it struck me as really interesting, all the things that TDI is doing to retain their people. And it's so the, the takeaway is, so I believe that all of this talent shorted stuff is a myth. Mm. And I've said it before on previous episodes too, because if you do a good job of taking care of your people, developing them from an end to end basis and not be solely focused on the bottom line of your organization, you're going to get better people. Those people tend to stick with you and you're going to have better outcomes in terms of business results from a talent attraction, retention, development perspective. It's, it makes me cynical when I see all of the hand-wringing about, oh, we can't find anybody. Maybe it's more of an issue of you're not willing to look or examine what the structure is internally to find people and give them a meaningful place to be and commit to because you don't care about any of that other infrastructure that's necessary to attract people to you. So I think it's a it's a great testament that you talked about. So I want to bring this sort of uh, full circle. And this has been a great conversation overall. So we got you know some tremendous insight into your personal story and, and how that led you to the current work that you're doing. When you look at the big things that are on the radar for your role and what you want to impact as a leader, and also with what the organization wants to impact in their overall strategy, what does the way forward look like? What are the big things that you're focused on driving and impacting when it comes to an entire talent strategy that uh, that the organization? I would definitely say using Lush, right? In I'm going to focus on the you, understanding and where most companies go through succession planning, right? Thinking about our talent bench strength, our leaders, 
and our upcoming leaders. And so uh, we do succession planning every year. And out of that is really listening and understanding what the organization needs. And part of the great resignation, I think that we're really missing the ability to take action or the willingness to take action. Part of Lush, doing all of that, those are verbs. (laughs) They're verbs. They are action words. And so if someone feels seen, if they feel heard, we what do we do with all of that? Because we're not short of employee engagement surveys. We're asking people to be candid in their feedback. So what do we do with that? And if employees feel that my leadership team hears me, they see me and they're taking action. Here's what's being produced based on your feedback. We will have better and stronger retention numbers. And we're going to refer someone else to come work because I know this is a great place to work. And so out of succession planning, to answer your question, you can develop trends and see here are the things that this organization needs in order to continue to thrive and grow, get toward these company goals. We have goals set out for 2025 that we want to accomplish and thinking about how are we going to get there? So retention is very important. Succession planning and thinking about who's my backfill in leadership is very important. And so what competencies are coming up, right, that we can focus on in order to build training programs or developmental programs that will take leadership to the next level? And are we truly meeting those needs? Go back and reassess, not just crank out a bunch of work because L&D is really good for that. We can create a training about anything. You want to sell air, we will create you a training program on how to sell air and you will be the best at it. (laughs) So we can take those trends, but actually create content that will meet the leadership development needs of an organization or skill-based needs of an organization. So it's two sides to those tracks, but take action, reassess and repeat take action, reassess, and repeat. So we're just taking action. We're just running and crossing our fingers in hopes that hope that it sticks. And then we go by flavors of the day. Oh, we rolled this program out. Now we're going to roll this program out. And now we're going to roll this new one out and revise number one, 1.8, 1A or whatever. But really, truly tying into what the organization needs. Listen to it, understand it, see it, hear it, and try to sustain it. But grow on top of that, reassess it all. So some of our work is working with those level three mid-level managers and even leaders of leaders because they are the future. We want to make sure that they feel strong, that they feel ready to tackle on what is to come when it comes to people and processes. That's it, how we see people and how we see the work. So attitude is everything. It drives our behaviors. It ultimately drives the results that we get day in, day out. Do it again. Ebony, I have to go back to what Jim said earlier. And I think you're, I think you're sandbagging because I think you've done this before. I Everything have. that you talked about <laughs> was the question that I was going to ask about key takeaways. I guess I don't have to ask that question because you really hit on the key takeaways. The, what I heard at least was this. It is basically embedding DEI into the organizational development and the organizational effectiveness of your organization. Because when you talk about people and people and and process, when you talk about succession planning, all of these elements are all the key elements that will help your organizational uh, structure grow strength over time. And what Jim and I talk about a lot is that people generally look at DEI over here and your organization over here when you really have to embed the, oh, there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There. But I will offer you this. What are, are there any additional key takeaways that you have that you think would be, if there was that one or two things that you would want folks to know, or that you think that would be helpful in uh, driving their careers, because our podcast is really about helping people move their career further, faster. What would be those one or two things? The power of relationship, the power of community. So whether it's Finding that one person and not one person that looks or feels like you. Find somebody that can give you another paradigm or perspective 
because that's how we grow. If I surround myself with people that think like me, that act like me, that are like me, it can stop my growth. But I want to get with people that don't think like me because the power of perspective is everything. That's what shapes us to become well-rounded individuals. And iron sharpens iron. You want to grow. You don't want to be stagnant. And I want to leave the audience with a quote that just really stood out to me. And it's by Jim Rohn. And I'm going to read it. It says, don't wish it were easier. Wish you were better. Don't wish for less problems. Wish for more skills. Don't wish for less challenge. Wish for more wisdom. And so that's the story of my life. Perspective is everything. Yes, during those times coming up in elementary, going through the dark ages, I could have been a victim. But because I had wonderful parents, because I had a strong village, even in the awkward and uncomfortable times of my life, it didn't consume me. My mind was strong. My spirit was strong. And so it has developed me into the woman that I am with my ethics, my morals, my principles, my standards. And I can lean on that. And it's solid. It's a solid foundation. And if I'm not someone's flavor of the day, it's okay. Because I'm someone else's flavor of the day. And ultimately, that person will come around anyway. It's, it's empowering ourselves, encouraging ourselves that we're called to this. We have our own unique set of gifts, talents, and abilities that we have to offer this world because they're hungry for it. They're looking for it. Ebony, thank you. The, my one request is that when you start your podcast that uh, Jim and I will be your first guest on there since um, you were a part of ours and we will be excited to, to join you when you're ready. <laughs> Everyone, thank you for listening in. You can always find us on your favorite podcast platform. We are also expanding our brand. We normally can find us on LinkedIn, but we are now on TikTok and YouTube. We look forward to hearing from you and getting feedback. And thank you again, Ebony. Have a great Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.